Welcome to Money in the Air, the music podcast about neighboring rights, the royalties you earn from the public performance of your recordings and the business of music in general. Brought to you by IFR, the International Association for Artists and Rights Holders. I'm Andrew, a royalty consultant helping artists to collect on their value. Hi, I'm Gina Deacon. I work for Absolute Rights Management and I work with record labels and artists to ensure we claim the royalty income due to them. I'm Stacey Haber and I'm from Inside Baseball Music Publishing. Hi, I'm Tanya Oliveira. I work for Transparency Entertainment Group. I focus on World X USA neighboring rights on the performer side and rights holder side. Hi, I'm Naomi. I'm the head of neighboring rights at Sony Music Publishing, and I'm one of the co-founders of IFR UK and IFR Education US. Hello, welcome back to Money in the Air, neighboring rights podcast brought to you by IFR, the International Association for Artists and Rights Holders. We have a very special guest with us today. It's Tim Hinckley. Hey, Tim. Hi. I always find it odd when you've got to talk about your own career. I got very lucky. I started out as a professional in the mid-60s with the Bow Street Runners, and their claim to fame was that they had Mick Fleetwood as a drummer for a while. And then after the Bow Street Runners, I ended up forming a group called Jody Grime, which was a three-piece rock jazz outfit for a couple of albums. And then I sort of morphed into a session guy. I had been doing odd sessions right from the beginning. After Jody Guy in 70, 71, I became, I just for some reason or other slotted right into this session game and started doing some big albums, Joan Armour Trading, all sorts of things, and ended up playing on a, a Who album, the Quadrophenia soundtrack, the Rolling Stones, all sorts of people, Bad Company, White Snake for my sins ended up doing a session for humble pie where i got asked to join the band and that's a whole another story i want to talk today about your work as a producer and a session player and how that translates into neighboring rights so the first question is an easy one as a producer did you ever get your eligible producer form from ppl or your letter <laughs> of direction from the artist um, for sound exchange no, no, I never even knew there was a form until right. just now. The situation in England was a little different to America. When I went to America in the early 70s and started doing sessions in New York, the whole system was different and much better, much, much better because the union were very, very powerful. I didn't bother with the union in England for years because nobody told me about it. And I remember doing a bunch of sessions really early on for a group called Joey Young and the Tonics. And it was a whole album done at CBS Studios in Bond Street. And I got paid, but I didn't know anything about signing off releases or anything like that at all. I may have signed a piece of paper. I have no idea. But nobody was really, because sessions were run by the Cats family back then. And they were doing all the string sessions and the big band sessions. And, you know, pop music wasn't, it wasn't until Big Jim Sullivan got me on some sessions that I realised there was this whole career, people that just were doing nine to five jobs by going to studios every day. It didn't, I didn't know about it until that time. How is it different in New York? What happened in the studio in New York? Well, in New York, the first session I did in New York was at Rudy Van Gelder's with Esther Phillips. And the union guy came to the session and we all signed our pieces of paper and they wrote a checkout on the spot minus our union dues. And I thought, wow, this is... This is really cool, you know. And I, I remember talking to the union guy and he said, I said, well, what happens if they don't pay us? He said, they don't ever get a recording session again. 
And did you receive AFM royalties after that for that session as your neighboring rights royalty? No. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. And so in the UK, MU doesn't come to the session? No, I did a television show for the BBC when I was working with Elkie Brooks. We did four TV show tip spots on uh, two Ronnies. And I have never been paid to this day. Wow. I went to the union and I said, look, uh, and of course, before I could do the show, I had to pay my back dues, which was £175. So I had to pay my, because you couldn't do the show unless you were paid up member of the union. So we did the show. I didn't get paid because the contract arrangements the union had with the BBC was that if it was a, a solo artist, then each member of the band had to have a contract. If it was a band, then the band had a contract. But she was a solo artist. We were just hired guns. And they never gave us a contract and we never got paid. She's been getting the money for that ever since or her management or whoever booked it. And so I got in touch with the union. I said, hey, you made me pay my dues. Now, you know, I've not been paid. So he said, well, we'll get the money for you. I said, great, okay. Well, it went on for years. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And finally... I dumped my union. I said, I don't want to be a member of the union anymore. I'm going to live in America anyway. And I called them up and I said, anything happened with this two Ronnies? And the guy said, well, you're not a member of the union anymore. I said, oh, I was at the time, though. And it all got dropped. And still to this day, that show, that two, two Ronnies shows are still, I think, went out to 28 countries, you know, Never been paid, nor of any of the other musicians that were on it. So you're talking about the performance fee for being on the show. Tanya, when you were doing Tim's Neighboring Rights, was that episode of the show, was that recording eligible for PPL registration? Or no, because it didn't have an ISRC number? No. Yeah, yeah, you've answered your own question. Yeah, it depends if it was released on a box set or as a live version of something, as long as it was released and there's an ISRC attached, then in theory, yeah, you can earn royalties. Okay, so double whammy in the not being paid because they didn't register it. Producers generally don't. It's only a new thing. Thanks to IFR, by the way. Tanya, talk me through what happened with the Rolling Stones and the evidence needed for those neighboring rights royalties for Tim. Yeah, yeah, that was quite a debacle, and I'm sure Tim can weigh in as well. So, yeah, in the 70s, Tim performed on the Some Girls album, specifically the track Miss You, which is literally one of my favourite Rolling Stones tracks, and I just think that is an amazing song. He was flown out, and it was a very kind of limited amount of time, and he recorded the keys. He went back, I believe, to finish off a tour in the UK, and it was all very time-sensitive. And then they claimed that another guy had performed the keys, but, you know, you can recognise your own work as a musician, and I know the feeling, because... I play guitar and the bass and I know the way I sound and my style. So PPL ring-fenced the track, which sometimes happens with high-earning tracks. And they're like, no, no, this other guy was the keyboard player. So then we have to kind of, obviously, you go on Discogs. And Tim was credited on a few versions because there's about 100 versions of that. I'll just interrupt there. So I was in the middle of a tour with Elkie Brooks and Chris Kimsey, the engineer, called me and asked me if I could fly over and do the sessions. And I said, I come in the middle of a tour. So he said, well, surely you've got a day off. And I said, yeah, I'll probably have. But I had to go and ask Elkie Brooks Management and the promoter. And they said, well, you, after Hull, you can go, but you've got to be back in time for the sound check in Bournemouth on the day after. It was almost a two-day gap, not quite. So I flew over there. And Chris Kimsey said to me in the studio, he said, now, 
make sure you get these tracks right because we're rubbing out the original keyboards. And Ian McLagan, who was a friend of mine, had put the keyboards on, but he was sick at the time. So I replaced them. Later on, they maintained that it was still Ian McLagan playing keyboards on the tracks. Well, in those days, he only had 16 track tape machines. And so if you rubbed out two of the tracks on the 16 track, there was no room to overdub just another set of keyboards. So I knew it was, wasn't Ian. And then I think a book came out about the Rolling Stones sessions and Chris Kimsey was quoted as saying, none of Tim Hinckley's keyboards ended up on the tracks. And I can hear it on the record. I can hear what I played on the record. But in the end, Tanya, you found the evidence needed and he's getting his neighbouring rights? Yeah, we get it now. Yes, Tanya did a great job there. It was fantastic. I mean, I would never have been able to get it otherwise. So yeah, it was kind of digging through evidence, you know, and it took a long time, but it's worth it. It really is. And that's why I want to kind of reiterate that to listeners that if you know that you want on a track, you remember it, you hear it, there's some kind of evidence, just join IFR, get yourself a rep because they will really, really like fight your corner and they'll help. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's something that we hear a lot of it, people saying, I hear myself on that. I know I'm on that. And that is a brilliant thing but you do need the actual evidence and you do need to keep pushing because otherwise I hear myself on that. Although that's great, that is not enough for the society. I've got another story, another story about that. So I played on this record of Thin Lizzy and John Olcott was the producer. Well, there was no credit. I got no credit. And so you can hear the piano of it. <laughs> so there's piano lick because he was trying to get away from those guitars that they were playing. And Phil Linnett liked it. He wanted me to play on it. So I played on it and then there no credit anywhere. So I wrote to John, who lives in L.A. now, and he wrote me a letter saying, yes, of course you played on it, if you can hear your playing on the record, which, of course, was evidence. Good. Um, really and, good. And, and that, was a, that was good because now I get paid for that. But I had, I had to get the evidence, you know. Well, if you had to do that with every session you've ever done, you'd never get it because some of these producers you wouldn't be able to get hold of and they might not remember. You know? that's, so, that's why we say do it while you're still in the studio before you leave the studio. You should do it right there and then when you're in the studio, exactly. Get it done, get it, you know. I mean, it's different now anyway because things are much more business-oriented. I mean, back then. How important is your neighbouring rights income to you? Producing, well, that's sort of a different game, isn't it? I mean... If you're not playing on a record, for instance, when I produced Johnny Halliday's rock and roll album in Memphis, years later, when I, I didn't even get a copy of it, I got very well paid for it, I must say. He was always good at that. He paid very well. But I never thought about it. I never signed any pieces of paper or anything. I just produced the record and it was a huge success. And he always promised me he'd give me a gold album, which he never did. When I finally got a copy of it, it had the engineer as producer and me as a ranger there was no written agreement exactly but at least in the future younger people will be able to get this sorted out much easier than i can you know because we didn't know at the time you know it's the same as talking about making records you always thought well the record comes out it sells a mediocre amount you forget about it and then years later it's re-released 
Yeah. And all of a sudden you're going, hang on a minute. And that's why we exist, to help people get it right from the start. So yeah. your stories have been brilliant in driving home that message. Tim, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's a pleasure. And thank you for listening. This is Money in the Air. Please go to www.ifar.co.uk and hit that Join Now button. Please become a member. And if you have any questions, just give us an email. We're here to help. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Bye.